Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you guys are. Welcome to another Tell Me Something Good. I am Josh Wolf. Um, today, not as much of a lead in as um, I usually do uh, because I'm taking off tomorrow. Beth and I are, um, our anniversary was this week, and um, she is shooting something in Florida. Um, so I'm heading down to meet her. Uh, so had a lot of stuff to do today. Um, and then last week, um, the what's going on, Linda and Tammy and heaven. Hi, everybody. Last week, obviously, the Facebook shenanigans, they kicked me. They locked me out of a page, my page for a week. Do you know what I had to do to get back in my Facebook page? I had to send them a copy of my driver's license. Thanks, Johnny. I appreciate it. I mean, like. Like the, this is the group of people that I want to trust with my private information. They've done such a good job with everybody else's, you know, I'm so happy that I had to send them my fucking driver's license just to get back on my page. Good Lord. And then I got a note, by the way, just so you know, I got a note from StreamYard right when we started this saying Facebook is having difficulties. So it might, it might kick you off. So, hey, everybody, welcome to Tell Me Something Good. Look, this is the episode I've been looking forward to the most. Um, joining me today is my dad. Uh, yeah, Eric, they locked me up. I could manage the page, but I couldn't post as myself. I couldn't, I couldn't put anything on the page. I had to have somebody else put things on the page for me. It, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. They were like, you need to authorize. I'm like, what else do I need to do to authorize besides the fact that this is my page? And you know what I hate the most about it? And by the way, they'll probably kick me off midstream just from talking. So they don't tell you. They don't give you a heads up on any of it. They don't, they don't say like, hey, just so you know, for some of our people who have over a certain amount of followers, we're making the authentication a little more difficult. They just say, but. It doesn't work anymore. And you're like, what the fuck? It, it just doesn't work now. They're not saying, not like a, Hey, here's a heads up. You know what I mean? It's Facebook guys. I'm not, I'm not launching missiles. What do you need my fucking driver's license for? I could not believe it, but we're here. And like I said, I'm really excited. You know, um, you guys have heard me talk about, uh, my mom and my dad on my, uh, on the podcast. And so, this is your chance. If you guys want to ask any questions, obviously, you know, that's part of the, uh, did someone report you for something the first time? So guys, this time last year, my lives were getting, I don't know, 150 to 200,000 live views between control chaos and high live. And they dinged me and then they dung me again and I never recovered. It just has never come back. I still have the same amount of followers, but they just don't send my stuff out to as many people. So they really just arbitrarily, it's crazy what they dinged me for. Like, it really is crazy. If I told you, and again, just send me something. Go, hey, this is against our community guidelines. Instead of, hey, we're going to shut down your page for 90 days. So, fuck it. I wish, I wish there was a way, but. It's the necessary evil. You got to be in bed with Zuckerberg. That pale. Whatever. Anyways, I'm happy, guys. And I am actually very happy, man. You know, my 90-day challenge is wrapping up. 
Um, but I feel mentally and physically very healthy. Um, I'm glad you do, Scott. That's good. Uh, the 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 move to Patreon, by the way, uh, will be happening mid mid May. I told everybody on High Live, uh, but um, yeah, uh, I forget what I was about to say. It doesn't matter. Oh yeah, I I'm, I feel really good. I feel really good. I put on about. I got on the scale today. I put on about eight or 10 pounds the last two weeks. Um, I think a lot of what was keeping me looking a certain way was just going on Tyler, uh, was just the fact that, you know, I think if you're some people, when they're not happy or they stressed out, they stay heavy. And if I'm not happy or I'm stressed out, I stay thin. That's it. That's how my body does it. It burns it up like crazy. And Ray, Ray, I wanted to congratulate you for this. You broke your eight mile, your eight minute mile, right? Congratulations on doing that on Monday. And Jeff, I love Nashville. And the only thing I will say, and by the way, I'm not a dude who who's out here bashing LA once he left. That's not my thing. Uh, I met my wife there. I raised my family there. I started my career there. I have great memories of Los Angeles. It was just time for me to go, man. I, I think it's important for you to shake things up in your life. And, um, you know, I... I was done with the constant pressure is all I can tell you. I was done of waking up and feeling like I needed to jump right on the wheel. It was not doing good things to my mental psyche. It just constantly made me watch other people and compare myself. And that is never a healthy thing because you're never comparing yourself to people who don't have it as good. You're always comparing yourself to people who have it better or what you perceive is better, you know? So, in LA, just put that right in your face all of the time. And um, there was a time in my life where maybe it didn't bother me or maybe I didn't think about it or maybe I was just better equipped or maybe I had just hit my limit with it. But any of that, yeah, Tampa, uh, Tom, I'll be in Tampa in uh, May. Comedianjoshwolf.com for tour dates. What's going on, Debbie Delarosa? Uh, in May, I'm in Indianapolis, Tampa, and Spokane, Washington. And guys, with that it's it's such a uh you know one of the best things about having this job is when your family gets involved in it and uh, i will tell you this you know my parents drove me to my very first comedy set very first one um you know they've always been incredibly supportive of really anything that I've tried to do. They will tell me my, their honest opinion. These, these are not yes people. They'll give you their honest opinion, but they will also support you, you know? And I, and I learned that's something that I took away from them without a doubt. Like I'm going to give you my opinion, but if you're going to push forward, I'm going to be pushing with you. Do you know what I mean? And so I, I, I um, I'm, I'm excited to talk to, my dad today about my childhood, which I don't seem to remember a ton about, um, but also his childhood. And, um, you know, I don't think I've ever asked questions about huge world happenings and where he was in his life and how those affected him. You know, as I thought about you, you know, the last couple of years, well, I forgot that, you know, my mom and dad live, they were there for the civil rights movements movement. You know, they were there 
when you know we landed on the moon they were there when elvis got here when the beatles arrived like the you know these are all things that i'm super curious about that i realized last week when i was thinking about this podcast that i've never asked either one of them about and so i have so many things to talk to my dad about this may be a two-parter um and uh who knows but here he is hey hey josh so i came home from work one day and i get out of the car and i go in the house and mom says hurry up we gotta eat supper uh we gotta drive josh over to the iron horse in northampton iron horse was a bar um i think a coffee shop right no bar barn bar uh and they was they had open mic and i said what for we gotta drive him. well he doesn't have his license he can't drive himself um and uh, so we drive him over there and it's an open mic this is water by the way just so you don't think i'm drinking beer when i'm talking to you uh, okay <laughs> this, this, this is soda. I'm okay all right, all right all right so in the middle of the lead up, there are the people on the on the mic. Um, Mom, who is monitoring this conversation, suddenly realizes that Josh's foot is shaking about oh maybe a hundred times a minute, um, and she says to him, "Honey, you don't. We'll take you home. You don't have to do this." And he says, oh, no, I'm doing it. Um, it's, he's been like that. He will look something in the face that might be scary, but he'll decide to do it. Um, so he gets up, and he's 15 years old. And he's a comic that depends, most comics hopefully do, depend upon their observations. And so the only observations he really has are of his parents' and of his brothers um and he finishes and the mc gets up and says i don't know josh i don't know if your parents are going to drive you home <laughs> um, you did. Um, and, and his, his three older brothers none of whom would step foot in front of a camera mm-hmm. It was all right for Josh. He got home and they um, started to say, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you tell him this? Why don't you tell him this? And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, if it's that important to you, you ought to be able to stand up in front of a mic and uh, risk just like (laughs) Josh is. But they never did. I mean, they risked in other ways. Yeah. You know, I, I, um, I, I do remember um, being very scared and I do remember um, you guys being like, we can get out of here. But I also remember thinking, I can't, I'm here. Like I'm here. I can't walk. I'm here. I can't walk away from this. And I will tell you, I think if it wasn't the first time, it was by the second time I was pretty hooked. I really liked it. And I knew I wasn't going to do it more in high school. And I knew all that, 
but I knew that I was going to pick it up for sure. Now, Dad, I want to before we do a ton about me in my childhood. I just want to ask you some questions that I've never asked you before. Now, by the way, guys, if you hear my mom, my mom is not one who enjoys being interviewed. So she's there, but she's not going to join us on film. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> she's like Edward Snowden. She's just high. <laughs> Yeah. The problem is that she is there. So um, sometimes her memories and my memories and your memories. Oh, yeah. Different places. Oh, yeah. So be prepared to be corrected. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm not saying corrected because <laughs> you're going to feel that we're wrong. Um, Dad, so my first question, right? Because I always think about like um, – when I think about entertainment and social media and all that stuff right now, um, ooh, ooh, let me, let me, let me back up. You were obviously a child child when, when world war two was happening, child, child, right. Yep. And, but do you have any like, um, memories or recollections of what the country like just the feeling in the country about the soldiers and the war and when they came home, like, do you have any recollection of that stuff from world war two? Um, how about if I gave you two answers? Yeah. Okay. The first answer is, uh, 1940, 40, 45. Okay. When the war is going on, I am, um, Four, five, six, seven, eight, somewhere in there. Right. So uh, I remember at night we had oil cloth that could pull down over our windows so the bombers couldn't see oh. drop the bombs. Uh, we collected tin, we collected cans, we collected paper. How come? Part of the war drive. They would go off to be manufactured or repurposed. How were you getting this information? Because we weren't, was it all through the radio as far as the oil? That, you know, it was th through Nana and Papa. Right, your parents. Um, and through other kids who had parents. Um, right. So that stuff we would, you know, pull a wagon around, we'd collect paper, we'd collect cans. Uh, all of that stuff went to be repurposed for the war effort. Um, Papa um, failed to get in. They wouldn't take him in terms of physical Yeah. for one reason or another. Uh, I think Grandpa and Papa were both neighborhood wardens who walked around at night and made sure that everybody was blacked out. Really? Okay. So that's the first memory. Yeah. Okay. Was there any fear involved in that, Dad? I don't remember any. Um, right. You know, the, the other thing is, um, <laughs> the other thing is they sold us white stuff that we were to use instead of butter. And in case we didn't like the color, along came a little powdered dye that we could mix in with it um, and it would make margarine. Um, 
The, the second memory happens a lot later, okay? For a kid, um, seeing person in uniform, you know, going to the movies and seeing the um, news and how well we were doing and how valiant our soldiers, um, I came away, uh, I don't know anybody else who did or didn't, but I came away with um, a somewhat romanticized version of what soldiering was. Is that, when you say, you're talking about watching the newsreels before movies? Yeah. And, and, and just so for people who don't know this, can you kind of explain what is, what, the, what that was? And, and, and <clears throat> for lack of a better word, was it propaganda-ish? Like, it, was yeah, it like, it was yeah? Propaganda-ish. Um, and so we believe that things were going well. Okay. Um, and so that romanticized version, um, the time that uh, I was really disabused of that was um, when we watched Band of Brothers. Oh, interesting. And I found out just how hard and sad and prolonged an effect that had on yeah. who served. Um, so, because before the movies, it was like, our boys are doing great over there. Look at them fight the Japs. Like that kind of stuff, right? And, they, and you know, in Band of Brothers, um, they came back. Uh, heroes came back and raised money for war bonds. Bob Hope was remarkable in terms of the work that he did. But all of that, um, A, showed the strengths of the resilience of the co country, but also gave young people, or gave me, I'll speak for myself, a romanticized version of what war is. Yeah. Um, and in... in um, yeah, that's, you know, as a, as a sideline, this is getting off the subject, but um, this margarine. With yeah, the, what was, why was it white? What was it? Orange dye in it. Um, this is going to give you another years later, years and years later. Um, I get out of college. Um, I'm going to start graduate school, but in that intervening summer, I get a job in a science research lab, mm -hmm. which turns out to be a cancer lab. So we can get back to it, but the piece of that was somehow they trusted me enough to run an experiment. On <laughs> The whole the whole thing is really, I think, pretty an experiment. Yeah, were you a part time worker? No, I was a full time worker. Most of the time I was working, I was dressed in a rubber suit with heavy neoprene gloves. Dad, washing the shit out of the cages. Yeah, Dad, what did you know about cancer research? Why were you doing an experiment? Yeah, yeah. okay. I got trusted to do more than wash out the cages. Yeah. Um, 
it's a long story, but um, the, the way in which I do my um, research is I'm the one feeding the, the guinea pigs or whatever it was that I was using different kind, different amounts of that orange dye. That they gave to you to eat? No, that they gave to me to give to the rats. But didn't you just tell me they gave it to you to put on your margarine? To mix up with the margarine. It was just orange dye. Right. This orange dye at the cancer lab, probably Agent Orange. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm giving it to them, you know, and pretty soon I get the idea that what I'm doing is weighing them. And I give everybody, you know, and I'm weighing them for tumors. And putting oh, on weight and I'm myself finally thought to myself, this is what's going on. This is this is the data that I'm producing. So I will tell you one part of it. Um, I'm going, I finished the summer. It was it paid well. Dad, they like, paid you to they paid you basically <laughs> to grow tumors in guinea pigs? Well, they paid me to feed the guinea pigs and measure the tumors. <laughs> they, they, had, they, had decided, they, had, they had decided that the tumors were going to grow. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, so um, it goes through the summer and I start graduate school. Um, Mom and I get married at the end. And so we're looking to get money any way we can. So I... They say you want to work at night, um, so I work go in two or three times and at night, wash the cages, um, and weigh the rats. Okay, so mom says one night I want to go with you, see what you're doing. How old are you guys at this time? Well, we're 21, 22, 22 and 23. You know, somewhere in so, there. Yeah. 21, right. Yeah, somewhere in there, okay? Um, Mom's going to graduate from college that year. I'm going to graduate with a teaching degree. So we go into the room where all the rats are, and there's no other noise. The, the two of us are the only people in there. So the first thing, and so the first thing Mom says, what's all that noise? And I suddenly realized that that noise were the rats trying to find a comfortable place to put their feet in those cages. What do you mean? Why? Because the cages weren't nice floors. They were... Got it. If, if you... Curtain cloth is a very hard cloth, with very hard wire, small holes. So the first thing she notices is the noise, which I never noticed because there was a whole lot of noise. The second thing she notices is the smell, but by that time my nose was smelled dead. Yeah. And then she opens a cage, and a rat, quite rightfully so, wants to get out. Yeah. And reflexively, she slams the cage on his hand or with a paw. And the rat. Mom, and the mom rat, did, you, did you try to kill that rat, Mom? No. It was, and the rat. And mom do the same thing. They scream. 
<laughs> I know mom did for sure. Yeah. Oh, the rat, the rat hurt the rat. Oh, I'm sure the rat did also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she opens the cage a little bit. The rat's hand comes back, paw goes back in. She slams it. She turns around and she tells me something like, this is a terrible thing you're doing to these rats. I hate this place. I'm leaving. I'm waiting for you in the car. Yeah. And with that, she walks out, sits in the car. So the the context for that moment is um, I, I'm looking for money, and I read this ad in the paper that says um, college-educated uh, person wanted for job um, must be able to work on his or her own. That's me. Yeah, that is you. So I go in and I have the interview. They hire me. And as how I, much you getting paid? How much you getting paid for this? I have no idea. What do you think if you were going to ballpark? Um, now I probably I bet I was getting paid two hundred fifty a week. Two hundred fifty back then. You were getting two hundred fifty a week. Worth two hundred fifty, three hundred bucks a week. Oh, so you were probably getting like sixty or seventy dollars a week, maybe a hundred. Yeah. Okay. So I go and I find out that my job is washing the cages, and I'm thinking to myself, "This is bullshit." The way this, the way in which they advertised, the key was able to work on his own. Yeah. And maybe think about something because he has a college degree. But every lunch, everybody in the lab, including the scientists, took lunch in the same room. Huge room, um, used to be another place. I mean, this was a place they had repurposed. And I thought when I walked into the room for the first time, I'm looking at a huge garage. Yeah. And big brick contact, concrete all around. The top of the um, building, top of the room, big windows letting a lot of light in. Okay. So in addition to lunch, the person who had who owned the place was a ping pong freak. So, and there was a lot of ping pong going on. By the way, let me just, yeah. let me say one thing and let me tell everybody this about my dad. Ping pong, pool, horseshoes, any of those sports where you're like, who's good at those? He is still. I, I don't know if I could beat him in any of those. I still can't beat him in golf. I beat him in tennis once because he was 70. So, but just so you know, when he says ping pong, I, especially at that age, I'm sure, and you are not, not a competitive person. I'm sure you picked up those paddles a couple times. So anyway, I'm sitting there and somehow the owner is without a partner. Mm-hmm. We played doubles. So he said, hey, you, you play? Yeah. So I played. And I was good. Yeah. So I got to play every day with the owner, which is also why he decided I was trustworthy enough to give cancer to the rats. <laughs> so wow. so the, the sad or sobering part of it we're in the middle of playing for the first time and i look down and he's got a concentration camp number tattooed on his arm forearm 
your boss did. Yeah, he's a survivor. Okay, and in those days, um, in the you know early '60s, uh, being a survivor wasn't that far away from the. Mm -hmm. So I, in my at that particular point, projected. You know, maybe a promise he made to himself in the camps is if I ever get out of this, I'm going to find a way to help other people. Whoa. So, anyway, so I'm comfortable in what I'm doing. And until mom gets there that night and tells me what I'm really doing. Yeah. Okay, I had told this little fib to myself, the money was coming in, um, and I had conveniently put ping pong in the place of the growing tumors, um, but... Dad, I, can, I, can I ask, like, yeah. when in America were, was what was happening in the concentration camps really apparent? Like it was it apparent during the war? Or did it was it not until the fifties? Like, yes, it was. Sure, it was, and it was conveniently pushed to the side. Our hero, you know, uh, FDR. Um, there was a boat. I don't know what the what, what the name of the boat was. Quite a few boats. Quite Wait, Dad, Dad, you're saying the, the uh, you did know about it during the war, or it was it was more something that you guys was more talked about after the war. Well, given mom's parents, well, right, it, right, right. It was, a, it was known about a whole lot more, perhaps in her house than in my house. Right, 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 right. Okay. Yep. Um, I can tell you uh, that when we, we were in sixth grade, which was a little bit after the war had ended, um, Peter Weiss showed up in our neighborhood. Uh, who was uh, a survivor, child, um, our age, mm -hmm. didn't, Whoa. went to school with us and didn't say a word to anybody for about six months. He was a survivor from one of the camps. Yep. He had the number on his arm. He, no, the kids, I don't think the kids did. His dad did. His dad did. His family survived sort of intact, which I, you know, later on in life, I, you know. That's great. That's probably rare. incredibly rare. Yeah. But so that child, because there probably wasn't a whole lot of attention to mental health and all that stuff and trauma, mental trauma back then. So for that kid to have to go from that spot to then just ex have everyone expect him to be normal must have been almost impossible. Like, how old are we talking as this kid? Fifth grade. So how old is that? 11? 11. Wow. So he really didn't. But I'll tell you something. Um, we didn't mean it, but we were really good for him. Yeah. If he wanted to play, he played. If he didn't want to play, he didn't play. He By the eighth grade, he was he was loud. And somewhat obnoxious. Good, good for him. And, and and we were all fine with that. Yeah. Um, but 
Yes. Um, Dad, you know, you, you worked in education, obviously. That is what your jobs have always been as far as I've ever remembered. Uh, what would you say is like the main difference between education and a kid's experience in school when you were there and now, you know, one, one major, and I'm just going to, one major difference that I think there is, is I seem to remember like when I was in school, which wasn't, I mean, it wasn't yesterday, but it wasn't 1800s. If I had a parent teacher conference and I was getting a C, you and the teacher were on the same side. Like, why are you getting a C? And it seems like now it's more the parents asking the kid, the teachers, why are you giving my son a C? Like that seems to be to, to me to be a big difference, but like for you to watch, you've been in education forever. How, how, what are the big changes for you? You realize I could talk about education for hours and hours and hours, but I, I do. I, I do know that. I do know that. I opened up a, a large can. So try to trim it down a little bit. For I'm, I'm going to, um, just tell you uh, two stories, okay? Okay. The first story. I'm starting for- to, by the way, I'm starting to realize maybe where I got my storytelling. Go ahead. <laughs> so <laughs> I was sitting there, and it's middle school, and this kid is late. And we tell him, hey, don't be late, you know. You're walking in the middle of first period. Oh, so he's late, and I give him detention. Mom comes into, oh, please don't give my son detention. Let me serve it for him. That's the first story. Second story is. By the way, that's dumb. (laughs) That's a helicopter parent for you. Yeah, that's real dumb. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Second story. Um, Teachers, especially the, um, oh, I just don't tell you the math story. So in math, this is in uh, a really ritzy um, suburb of New York City. Mm -hmm. So, um, um, the last job I had, I was a principal, um, and uh, I'm in the middle school, and the two math teachers in grades eight and nine are brilliant math teachers. Okay. What, what, what makes somebody, when you say brilliant math teacher, like when you say a brilliant teacher, do you, does that mean somebody who connects with the kids, somebody who's good at actually teaching, somebody who's who can speak and so kids can absorb it? Like for you, what makes a brilliant teacher? All of the above. Okay. Plus being passionate about their subject. Okay. By the way, that really does, you know, I would tell you, I can listen to anybody if they're passionate about what they're talking about, I may not agree with them, but I'm interested at least. That's so true. The teachers that I really remember are the ones that felt like they wanted to be there. Yeah. And in anything, okay. Mm -hmm. um, You've got to risk something of yourself in order to grow. 
Okay, if you're not willing to risk and open yourself to anything, you're never going to grow. So the teachers who were incapable of curiosity and surprise, you know, they yeah. were good. These two women were good. All of what you said, plus they really knew their subject, and they taught the advanced class in eighth grade and ninth grade, and all the kids seemed to be getting A's. The problem was surfacing its ugly head in the junior and senior years in high school. Look who's saying hello to you on the screen. How you doing? Um, the the um, the people in calculus were these same folks, and they were mucking up the calculus class. Yeah. And so um, I say to the 18th, I, I talk to the, the department head who's wringing his hands because the kids who deserve calculus aren't getting it because it's going so slow. So I say to and I'm armed with a clipping. And the clipping says in Long Island, in another like ritzy place, the advanced place, the advanced kids in math have to get tutoring in math, some of them, in order to keep up. Yeah. That's dumb. Yeah. <laughs> so I say to the two teachers, I say, look, the next test you give, because all of them are getting A's, don't test them on analogous problems. Yeah. Take the concepts you're teaching and give them problems that have to use the concepts. So we will find out pretty quickly who understands math and who doesn't. Yeah. Sure enough, raise my, I can't see it. The, the grades that were in a narrow band from 95 to 85 suddenly went from 95 to 60. Half those kids in the advanced class were there because their parents stuck them there for social reasons. Yeah. And so, yes, your perception about that one way, that's changed. You know, I will tell you, and, and I always thought this, I always thought this, even in high school, I always thought, especially at a young age, to separate advanced, standard, and basic was such a terrible thing to do to people. To tell a 12-year-old that he's dumb and that he's in basic and that he's going to walk around school and everybody knows he's walking out of the basic class. And so people are going to te tease him about being stupid. So when you're being teased about being stupid, you know what you do? You pretend like you don't care, so you don't try. So that way you can always say, I'm not trying. I'm not dumb. I'm just not trying. But you're already labeling them as dumb. And I really I like, look, maybe they are. But you, you, you should be able to figure out how to teach everybody in the same class at the same time. And, and, and I just, or, or don't have a basic class. If you need to have an advanced and a standard or, and you don't need to name them that, but you know what I mean? Like, I really always felt like that was really dumb. Yeah. Well, you know, without naming names, um, one of your brothers is now earning a gazillion dollars mm -hmm. get, <laughs> to ask in, in an apparent night. I said, well, tell me, the teacher. 
how do you deal with the differences? And she said, oh, we just take the stuff we give to the smart kids and dumb it down. This was in your high school. Yeah, I know. And, you know, I know you guys pleaded with me not to come and work in the Amherst public school system. Oh, boy, that would have been terrible. Right. So I didn't, but, you know, but the point is, um, supposing we said that people need different way to learn things. Mm-hmm. They need more time, okay? Um, with the calculus people, they will find their own level, okay? But if you say, please do not label somebody yeah. a blackbird and somebody else a bluebird. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay, we're going to go back to you as a younger person. Okay. Now, during your teenage years, you know, I, for me, you know, I, there was a certain type of music or as far as entertainment or like, uh, you know, entertainers or actors or whatever. Like, did you have a guy or a girl? You were like, that's, you know, I like that music. I like, you know what I mean? Wh- whatever. Uh, what Did you have somebody? You were like, I got to, I'm not sure you're buying albums, but what was happening? Yeah. I mean, I know that you were a Red Sox fan and and um, the huge Ted Williams fan. and, and yeah, up, That's who I'm going to be. Right. You wanted to be Ted Williams. I rarely listen to popular music. Yep. And I was, you know, when I got to be older in, in college, okay, yes. But I rarely listen. I had a radio. Um, what were you listening to in college then? What did you like? Folk stuff. You remember the huge folk collection we had? Yeah, you you know what you know who I uh, turn people on to all the time is Jerry Jeff Walker. Yeah. Okay. And um, you had that reel to reel. Yeah, I remember that reel to reel. Um, I think Jonathan has it now, but I'm not sure. Um, I don't know. Anyway, so we and and that stuff um, both mom and I collected. Um, we were in coffee houses when we were in college. Listening to a very young Joan Baez, yeah, which um, Theodore Bacall, the concerts that we went to were somewhat like that. And you, you know that uh, Nana and Papa, um, Nana, um, Nat King Cole, um, yeah, but there was a lot of opera and classic music going on in their house. Right, 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 right. So. Um, well, did you get caught up in Elvis at all? No, you didn't, huh? No. Do you remember? Do you remember the Elvis? Like, I'm sure people in your school were caught up in Elvis, right? Yeah, I don't think Mom, you weren't caught up in Elvis, were you? I loved it. Oh, Mom loved Elvis. <laughs> she she had more of a she had a more of a popular um, music. You know, uh, Grandpa Fred played piano too. Yeah, too, and Mum, quite frankly, uh, was in you know had the possibility of being an excellent piano player. Um, you could hear if you listened to Mum's playing, you heard something of the emotion that drove that person to create that music. Yeah, you didn't hear simply technique. Well, that's what makes. You know, um, there are a lot of guitar players right now, like 
there's a dude named I'm gonna mess up his name, but I think it's Joe Bonarosa. Yeah. And uh Joe, he this dude has a gazillion guitars, he can play anything you ever want. It is technically perfect, and I can't listen to a note of his music because it just sounds like somebody who's awesome at guitar, but I don't feel any of it. Right. And to to me, that's that's what art is. A, a, a perfect art to me is not fun. I, for me, the perfection is in the imperfection. That's what makes it human. You know, I don't need a computer to draw a picture for me. I want a dude to do it. Well, the thing about you know, that you know, that's a big thing with me is that to, Joe Bonamassa. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. The big thing is creative people have something inside that they would like to get out. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily for somebody else but for themselves to understand themselves better, to express themselves better. The fact that that's what happens, and you can see that in the expression sometimes of people dancing, of people making music, mm -hmm. you can see the expression on their faith, face. Um, so, you know, that is out there, and that's out for you to experience as, as another person. And, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, but and there is a question here, by the way. Kate wants to know, Dad, did you like Woody Guthrie, Lead Belly, or Pete Seeger? I do remember Pete Seeger in the house. Um, uh, Guthrie and Seeger. Yeah. Um, much later, um, uh, came to appreciate Lead Belly as a was, as a real um, a real beginner person in on the bottom of some really wonderful American music. Yeah. Did did you like, were, was there any, because we all went through, you know, phases. Uh, was there any phase of a type of music where you were like, I can't wait for this to end. <laughs> I can't wait for this phase to be over. Holy shit. Is he, because I know personally, I did a hip hop phase with Jonathan. I did that country phase um, and then I did like a rock and straight up rock and roll phase. Um, I also, I, I wore parachute pants for a little while. Like I had a couple of different, you know, there was a couple of different me's, but, but we all had different types of music. Was there, was there a type of, um, music that you couldn't wait and to end? And was there a type where you were like, I actually, I don't mind that. Well, is it heavy metal? Yeah, that was my that was my wish for earplugs. I did go through a quiet riot, twisted sister. Come on, feel the noise. And you know what I used to have to do? And by the way, you guys were so good because back then, guys, if I wanted to record a song, I had to wait for it to come on the radio and then I had to press the double. I had to press the cassette. Well, I didn't want to sit in my room all the time and wait for the radio. So I would leave it up loud and be like a couple rooms over. And when they'd be like, coming up next, quiet riot. And I'd run back in and press. I hadn't thought of that. Like I was just letting it play. <laughs> when I walked home. Yeah. Down Berkshire Terrace. Yeah. There were days when I thought I heard the roof, saw the roof going up and down. Yeah, you might have. Because, because it wasn't just you. No, it was all of us. It, there were days when all four of you were raising the roof. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, somebody wants to know if, and I, I'm not sure this was your thing. Were you a Dean Martin fan? Um, 
I came to appreciate Dean Martin as a person. Yeah. Uh, much later. Um, and uh, I really liked Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis and was sort of disappointed that they didn't get along too well. They didn't get along off screen? No. Well, tell me, how, how much different could they be? Right, 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 right. That's true. Um, okay. So you're not an Elvis fan. What about when the Beatles come along? Well, I like them. Really like them. And, well, they, and can I ask one more question? If you compare the mania between the Beatles and Elvis, was it similar? Like, uh, because I, I, and this is obviously only coming from what I've read, you know, it seemed that parents had the same reaction to the Beatles and Elvis, which was, oh, you know, but they didn't. Well, I didn't. And all, I think mom could tell you about the the hysteria and the hype. Yeah. And frankly, I paid no attention to Elvis. You didn't. Pretty much no attention. Um, Which is crazy, Dad, because wasn't wasn't he? I mean, look again, when I say everywhere, nobody can be everywhere like they are today. Right. Right. So you really could probably avoid them if you wanted to. I did. <laughs> and, and I don't know if mom, were you, your hysteria about the Beatles and, the, and Elvis? I was never hysterical, but I think the Beatles had an international audience that Elvis never quite had. Yeah, but, but in America, mom, in America, as far as the hysteria went, would you say it was similar? I don't know. Yeah, but I can only describe to you um, Ed Sullivan's show of show. No, it wasn't show of show. The Whatever. show of show was Sid Caesar. Oh yeah. That was By the, the way, as a comedy nerd, Dad. Yeah. Uh, Sid, that show of shows, American comedy, mm -hmm. the history of American comedy came out of that writers' room. You know, Carl oh, Reiner, yeah, Neil Neil Simon, and Woody Allen were all in that writers' room at the and same time. Was, and there was another one. Yeah, I'm forgetting one more. You're right. And who was really, really yeah. smart and clever. Imogene Coco must have. Well, I don't yeah. Anyway, um, all I remember is, is the, the hysteria of, for the Beatles is Ed Sullivan had them on. Okay? Yeah. Um, and you could not hear them sing. Yeah. You could not hear them sing. And I'm thinking to myself, ah. <laughs> you know, at that time, you know, I was teaching and adolescent girls were not my favorite thing. Yeah. And that was who was making the noise. Yeah. 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 Dad, I, uh, people have asked a couple of times, um, like, and by the way, guys, Zeppelin was probably a little bit past when my dad was, but I have two questions. One. Um, the difference for you between Abbott and Costello and Laurel and Hardy. I can tell you my memory of that. And then uh, Dave wants to know, were you were you a big band guy, like a Glenn Miller? Yeah, well, big band, I deal with that first. Mum remembers the total. Oh. Uh, there was a Right in front of the Charles, okay, up that far from Boston, in Newton, 
there was a uh, Norumbega Park, which was a tiny amusement park. Mm -hmm. But part of that park was a thing called the Totem Pole, and they had shows there and bands, and you went there as teenagers and danced. Um, So, yes, um, remember bands, um, you know, the, the one that's, well, two. Um, one was uh, um, Benny Goodman. Yep. And the other was. What was that dude who had the TV show? The band? Oh, Welk. Yeah, Lawrence Welk. Right? We, we avoided that as well. How come? How come? It was hokey. Yeah, it was terrible. Um, and it wasn't terrible. The point was, if it had been terrible, it wouldn't have been on as long. It just pointed out the difference that we now go gaga over between the two coasts in the Midwest. Or the right. Center of the, um, and in fact, uh, I thought it was hokey, but you know what? Um, a lot of people look forward to that show. Um, and, and were you a... I remember watching a lot of Abbott and Costello on TV on 13 TV 13 or channel 13 TV 38 out of Boston, a lot of Abbott and Costello in our house. Um, was that because we were watching it or were, were you the Abbott and Costello fan and we just were watching with you? I don't really remember. I don't, I don't remember. I, the, the thing that I wish there were more of was Laurel and Hardy. Really? Were you more of a Laurel and Hardy than Abin Costello? Yeah. Um, How come? Mostly because I really appreciated Hardy. And Costello was, I felt, he felt sort of slapsticky to me. Um, I think Laurel and Hardy, from my perspective, I enjoyed their relationship more than I did Abin Costello. That's interesting. You know, the I will tell you the one thing that always struck me watching that as a young person. Um, and one thing that it, now that I think about it really has carried over to be true. Now I liked Abin Costello, but I hated the way he treated Costello. Right. I hated it. It didn't seem like good. It didn't seem like friend. Look, I don't know. I'm sure you've never watched jackass, but one of the reasons that I like Jackass, which is guys playing pranks on each other, is because everyone's laughing. If they didn't laugh, that would be a mean show. And so, I, the, I look, I loved it because I loved slap, slapstick kind of humor. And I loved the, I loved, I thought Costello was the slapstick you didn't like. I, I liked the ridiculousness. But I didn't quite understand why his buddy always needed to hit him. Yeah, no, this, no, that's, you ca- captured why I didn't like Abbott and Costello, why I liked Laurel and Hardy, because the slapstick um, was for everybody. Yes. Why I love Buster, why I still love Buster Keaton. Um, you know, the, these, Keaton and, and Laurel and Hardy were really sort of before Mum and I, you know. Right. Um, so, and why I didn't, you know, why sometimes uh, um, Beep Beep and the Coyote, you know, there's a certain um, 
I don't know. There's a, to me, there's a certain kind of slapstick, which is um, not in good humor, but sort of cool. Yep, there is, for sure. So, for sure. Is, is there a TV show that you can remember the first one where you're like, oh, I really... I'm going to make sure I tune in for this. Like, is there, was there one that, that you remember as a first for you? Three. Three. Okay. Taxi. Oh, this is the seventies. Yeah. I didn't, you know, that television wasn't as built out. Right. Okay. So you weren't really watching it early on anyways. Well, I, I tried not to miss, miss uh, show of shows. Show of shows. Okay. That was the only one. At that age, but Taxi, um, the police show, uh, and Nash. Which police show? Uh, what was the name of it? Was it a real one or was it a comedy? Oh, that was, um, we're talking about comedy. Oh, you was, watch either one. Anyway, there was that police academy one with the. Uh, no, it was a. It was oh, a, you talking about Barney Miller? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Barney Miller, Taxi, and Nash. I remember sneaking down the stairs and, and looking through the crack in the living room doors to watch Taxi when you guys were watching. <laughs> well, it was worth the sneak. It was it, worth the risk of getting caught. It 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 to this day for me, if you were gonna say name me top five sitcoms, I don't know how that's not on there. It it was so it, first of all, the cast was so good. I mean, when you look at the career, the careers on that cast, mm -hmm. everybody in that main cast, outside of maybe Jeff Conway, who ended up just having a tough go of it, everybody had a like a real. That's rare, you know, Dad. I I had Mary Lou Henner on my podcast. Yeah, yeah. Sure. and she. Do you know she's one of the very few people in the world that remembers everything? So if you get if you say April twenty first ten a.m. nineteen eighty two, right? And so it's a I forget what the medical name of it is, but I asked her. I go, don't you, don't you go insane with all of this? She's like, yeah, it's really sometimes it's overwhelming. It can be really overwhelming, and some people who have it just really because if you ask her how many times have you heard the song Freebird, she could be like. And she'll tell you how many times she's heard their song. I wouldn't want that power. Right. That seems like a lot. But that show yeah. with Tony Danza and Danny DeVito and Christopher Lloyd and Judd Hirsch and Andy Kaufman. Wow. And Mary Lou Henner. And Mary Lou Henner. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, I love, I love, we love MASH. You remember when we were in Amherst and we watched all, we watched the entire replay, you know. Yeah. We all were sitting there waiting for it to start. Yep. And I love Barney Miller. I love the characters. Yeah, Barney Miller is an underrated show. I thought it was really good also. That's interesting that you actually kind of is not surprising. It holds holds court. It holds true for what I know about you now. Like this is, you're not wrapped up in the screens and, and never, I've never really, I've never really known you or thought of you to be, somebody who who's who puts whatever the tv or movies or music like that's that isn't your first some people first thing they come home put on a record do you know want to turn on the tv and that's just never been your thing 
Um, it, it, where did you get, because you still work out and you're still in dynamite shape. Where did you get that from? Like that, because that wasn't a Papa thing. Like, where did you get <laughs> Papa's, Papa's his dad? Do you know what I mean? Your dad is not, Papa wasn't like, oh, we yeah. got to get to the gym, you know? Yeah. And then you could also ask me, where the hell did you decide that you like to cook? Um, yeah. You know, it's, listen, um, and, and uh, mom's dad was the same way. Yeah. You, you know, if you left him alone, he would OD on peanut butter and <laughs> that would be it. And if he, and maybe he would boil water and have something. Uh, Papa wasn't even that good. Yeah. You know, when, when Nana had an operation, I forget what it was, Steve went down. You um, did, Went down. And then when the operation was over, I went down to make sure that he got something to eat. Um, anyway. Where did I do working out? Yeah, where did you get that from? Because I really feel like I got that's where I know for sure. Like the reason outside of this past year, there I, I know for sure the reason I feel like I'm in constant motion or I uh, my habit of going to the gym or being active. I know um, that I got from you and mom. Um, but so I was wondering where you guys got it. Because mom too, like mom, up until you guys moved, was in that garden. I don't know how many hours every. Like both of you have always, I've always, like when I, you guys are always in my brain, just constantly moving. So where do you feel like you got that from? Well, I don't know. Okay, all I can tell you is, um, Steve as well. Yep. Uh, we're good athletes, so we did a lot of that. Yeah. Okay. And that became a habit of mind. So when I started to give up competitive stuff, it was natural for me to move into working out. But you, but let's, by the way, let's, let's qualify how good of an athlete you are. You could dunk a basketball. Yeah, but the dunk was fingertip only. Dad, you're 5'10". On a great day, 5'10". With the right shoes. No, I was, you know, I, without any shoe, yes, I could dunk a basketball. Okay. That, that's pretty great. I mean, I, I can, if I swing my hand hard enough, uh, the wind from my hand can move the net. But I don't know if I can actually touch it. Like, I, I you know, your, uh, so your athleticism, basically led you to being constantly yeah. active. That makes sense. Yeah. And, and um, something in me recognized that it was healthy. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a Zen quality. Yes. In terms of meditation, A, there are two things about sports that I really appreciate. First, um, the idea of practice or the idea of running, mm -hmm. the idea of working out, exercising, is um, a wonderful, from my perspective, way of meditating. I agree. Second is um, teamwork and a bunch of people 
working towards a common goal, okay? Mm -hmm. Sharing a mission. Um, that's the second part. That's just part of what I liked about basketball, what I liked about baseball, um, was that, that there were people came together to do something and um, wanted to be excellent in it. Uh, you know, and th there are a lot of people who may be watching who don't understand um, infield practice. Yeah. I loved it, by the way. Yeah. You know, what's crazy it's is greatest, I, I, greatest I, ball knits those, us together. Um, and you know, that love, I think that love, like I, I loved not only baseball games, but baseball practice. I just loved everything about putting the glove on, putting those cleats on and walking on the field. And the part of practice that I did like outside of just the reps and I loved, but I loved the camaraderie of like that whole feel it, it, for me was, do you know the closest thing that for me, and one of the reasons I like being in a green room with a bunch of comics, it's the same thing. There's a, there's kind of a camaraderie team feel. There's a shared experience, you know, mm -hmm. that I really, it's one of the things that I like the most about this job. Um, now, okay. We're already past an hour. I knew this would happen and we're not even to the seventies. Uh, <laughs> so let me make let me make one comment. Yeah, uh, for those people who are watching, um, it is a blessing to be able to work together uh, with some autonomy towards a goal that you share. Yeah, um, that is. Um, a wonderful feeling, a wonderful, that is the best kind of community that you can have. I agree with that. I agree with that. You know, I, um, well, we didn't, we, we might have to do this again to get into, cause I'm sure people will want to ask questions about me. I'm going to ask you something, dad. Do you mind taking some questions from some people that are watching? No. Okay, guys. If, so if they don't mind the answer. Yeah. By the way, it's one of my, I posted this clip the other day, dad, one of the most profound things you ever said to me. And by the way, guys, there's your stream. Was at the David Ortiz roast. You um afterwards you said something to me at the dinner table about producing a show or i forget exactly what you said and i felt like i i was a little too harsh with you with my response and i apologized to you the next day and you said something so profound to me that you probably don't remember uh but i that i've taken with me since that time i apologized to you and i was like hey i'm really sorry i i I went in a little hard on you. You asked me if I had thought maybe I should keep producing if comedy didn't work out. And I was, you know, I, a trigger for me has always been people who, somebody who's like, are you still doing that comedy thing? You mean my fucking job? Yeah, I'm still doing it. Right. And so it's always like, a, and I apologize to you just for that. And you told me, you don't apologize to me. I, I asked you a question and you answered it. 
I can't be mad at your answer. If I didn't want to hear your answer, I shouldn't have asked you the question. Right. And I was like, oh, okay, that's real. But also so true that you, you can't get mad at somebody else's truth. You ask them, you got to sit and eat the answer, no matter what the answer is, you know? Yeah. You it know, was, when I was consulting, okay, and some, you know, I didn't, wasn't fully employed at that point, but I was consulting, I was doing evaluation and I would go in and I would ask the person, the person who's going to hire me, I said, look, I'm not coming to work here. Um, if you ask a question, you better be prepared for the answer. Yeah. You, and if you're going to massage my, the data that I produce, so as so it's a political answer. I'm I'm not going to work. You know, Dad, I will tell you one thing, and I don't know if you know this, but one thing, whenever I bring you up to people that we grew up with, and I, I, you know, the latest one was Ray Morales. You remember Ray? Yeah. He was a kid. Ray was on our all of our baseball teams, and my dad coached everybody's baseball team, and. And one thing I will say, man, dad, I, I, for both you and mom, you know, and I didn't realize how difficult this was until I had kids, but you guys showed up to everything. You showed up to everything. And, and at, when you have kids, you realize how difficult that is, how, how like you made sure that when we were doing something, you guys were there mm-hmm. and that. You know, and I'll tell you something that I'm not sure I've ever told you. And I feel like, you know, I've changed a little bit since I've been here in Nashville. I feel like I've realized some things about myself. I've made some apologies to people from things from 20 years ago, from five years ago, from a week ago. Um, And I feel like, you know, I owe you an apology for something that you don't probably might not even know. But, you know, when we were growing up, I always heard, you know, kids complaining about whatever their house or their family or and i just maybe felt left out of that and i think i assigned you some some shit that you didn't deserve to be assigned i think i i i was like well what can i complain about like what can i you know what i mean and i think i manufactured some feelings that you didn't deserve and 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 I know kids are whatever, and I if my if Jacob or Kate or Trevor apologized to me about something, I'd be like, "You were a fucking teenager, like whatever." But I I apologize. Like you, you know, looking back, you and Mom were fantastic parents. And as a parent, what I know now is that for every good good decision you make. For every positive, like, so say your kid, you make sure your kid is very structured. Well, when something comes and bumps that and spontaneity, spontaneity has to happen, you haven't prepared him for that. That doesn't make you a bad parent. You made a choice as a parent for what you thought was important. And that's the best you can fucking do, you know? And so I know that all the choices you made for us were the ones that you thought were best for us. And, um... I, I'm just, you know, you probably have never thought of it, but I have many times. 
and ju- I just wanted to tell you that I was, you know, for all that stuff, whatever I put on you or assigned to you, I, I, I apologize. It, you didn't deserve any of it. Thanks. I got, I got two things to say, and maybe we'll come back another day. Okay. The first thing is showing up, just showing up is a lot of life. Yeah. A lot of life. Mm-hmm being willing to show up. And the second thing is, um, you know how I spent the last 20 years of my working life, um, and uh, I swear to you, any decision that I would make, there might be 47 to 49 to 49.9% of the community who would think there was the stupidest goddamn decision that anybody could make about their kids. And once I realized that, that, you know, people are different, okay? Then I would try to make the best decision I possibly could after listening to a lot of people um, for the kids, for the teachers, for the school system, and that would be okay. And for people to think differently, um, I couldn't help that. The one thing I did remember in what you said in the same way is that everybody in that community wanted what was best for the kids. Mm -hmm. We all started from the same place, okay? Mm -hmm. And what you came to realize about parenting um, is that we all start by loving our kids and wanting the best for them, um, but we need to let them become who they are. And as they're becoming who they are, they're going to think some of the decisions we make are shit-ass stupid. Mm -hmm. But we can't, you know, we made them hopefully yeah. Uh, for the right reasons. Yeah. You know, y- you know, you, you, uh, I don't know if you remember this when we took Jacob out of Notre Dame and put him in that other school, he was not happy. And it's funny. I asked both you and mom, I'm like, do you think I'm making the right decision? And you were like, you're going to find out. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's it. That's it. All we could do was take an educated guess from what was happening around us. We, you know, I know the one thing I know is I know him. And I, so I could just make an informed decision on what I knew about him and what I thought to be right. And so, you know, one thing that I've really, and I've said this before, but one thing I really do believe as I've gotten older the idea of bad parents, I think, look, there are obviously some terrible parents, but I think most people just are doing the best they can. They may not be good at it. That's a different story. But most people are doing the best they can. And that gets lost. That gets lost. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's that's it. It's especially with your first kid. It's a guess, you know, 
You have no reference point. <laughs> right. I mean, you, you're, you're a first kid, suffers, you're learning as you go. Doesn't come with a manual. <laughs> oh, it came with Dr. Spock, but what did he know? I'm going to tell you, those parent, those parenting books, all they do is make you feel like a terrible parent. <laughs> um, okay. Now, is there anybody? I'm looking at you guys underneath. I can see you, Ray Ray and uh, Dave. And uh, as I say, Jay Free and Shannon and Jeremy and Jen. I just posted the link, uh, the stream, the uh, StreamYard link. Do any of you have a question? If you do, go ahead and raise your hand and I'll throw you on the screen. Anybody? Okay. This is Jen, Dad. Hey, Jen. Uh, did you read your son's book and what did you think of it? Oh, good question. I don't know. <laughs> um, I read it. Uh, I gave it away to some people, bought it for some people. Um, he's a excellent observer of people. The, the pieces that I liked the most were his relationship with Caitlin and Trevor. They were told with a great deal of humor and tenderness. Um, and... I just spotted it. It's on my bookcase. I can see it from here. I, I will say this, guys. I I didn't know until recently, and I think I told you this a couple of years ago, Dad, how good of a writer that my father is. You know, and he writes in a way that I I could never. I it just, but he his poetry and sonnets. And his stories are his stories are meticulous. The the essays, Dad, that the we read about your your life growing up were meticulous. Um, oh, this is from Matt O'Connor, by the way. Got to run Wolf Family, but really enjoy the conversation. My best to you both, your parents and my dad. We feel to hear about it when I call him this week. Thank you, Matt. Matt, I grew up with uh, Matt and Matt's older brother, Mike. I think is, I mean, if we're just talking about was probably my oldest friend, I think was probably the first kid I started hanging out with in Amherst. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, you know, there's the, the one other thing I do want to, I do want to ask you about, and does anybody underneath have another question? Um, okay, Ray, Ray, I'm going to get to you in just a second. Uh, you know, when, in junior high, do you remember that I spent a week away from the house? And living at Michael Connor's house. Do you guys remember that? Mom? No. No. A week? Yeah. A week. It was one of those manufactured. Well, we can talk about it. If you guys don't remember, it doesn't matter. Uh, all right. So, Ray Ray. Ray Ray. Hi. Did you have a question? I did. What is your favorite memory of or with Josh? Oh boy, Ray Ray, that's unfair to make me pick one. <laughs> okay, so now there will be. Um, I'll tell you one which uh, it can't be favorite, but it made a profound effect on me. Um, Josh. Spent a year post-grad high school before he went to college. He had an absolutely sensational high school 
career in terms of his enjoying it and being a very positive influence uh, with his peers. Um, and we are driving back one night from somewhere late and it's just Josh and me in the car. And there's silence and we're driving, I'm driving. And out of the darkness comes, you know, I wish this could go on forever. <laughs> we're gonna party forever! <laughs> and, um, that, that, you know, and you folks who have followed Josh know that, um, you know, he is, and you listen to him, he has come a long way. But it was really interesting to me to think, um, you know, for that moment, you know, Josh, uh, I'm torn between wishing that you would get your wish and knowing that you're not going to. Yeah, and knowing that we're going to be empty nesters soon. So get the fuck out of here. Oh, um, so I'm going to tell something about mom. Okay. Mom, I took the three older boys to college. You Wait, know, I, I did too. And you came with Dan. And you, Adam. Oh, no, no. We dropped Adam off. We dropped Adam off. Oh, right. that was, and then we went and dropped Dan off. When, the by the way, I just want everyone to know, when they say drop it off, we, it wasn't like we just drove down the street. We were in Massachusetts. We drove to Pittsburgh and then we drove to Florida and then we drove back. Dad, two monumental things happened on that trip. You, that first stop, maybe after we dropped off Adam, we were at a friend of yours' house. That was and, and you showed me uh, Carlin live at Carnegie Hall. Oh, yeah. That oh, was a monumental you moment mean, for me sitting in that dude's living room. Like, what am I watching right now? Genius. I remember watching that with you. Genius. You yeah. were, you know, it was on the way down. Yeah. Um, so uh, mom says, I'm taking Josh to school. And we were in Massachusetts and Josh was going to uh, Texas. Yeah. So they get on a plane and they go, um, and um, things go, I don't hear anything. And then there's a day of orientation, and then Josh goes off to his room. That's what happened in Texas. So after that, mom goes to her motel. She calls me up, I answer, and she bursts into tears, crying. Um, the last, the empty nester. Yeah. And then for the next 30 days, we ate out. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would have too. You guys cooked for four boys for however many years. That seems really difficult. Yeah. <laughs> um well dad we before i take off we can take one more question from down below anybody got one all right hold on one second what's going on jeremy what's up guys 
Uh, my question is, uh, at what point in their life and what lessons do we let them learn the hard way? Ooh, good question. Um, well, the first one, very clearly, um, we let Josh, um, don't take this personally, Josh. We let yep. Josh screw up his applications to college. Yeah. And um, that, I think, uh, uh, he learned the hard way. And he was a hell of a lot more prepared going forward for his life. Um, yeah. We, you know, there were things we weren't afraid to let the kids fall like so many parents are now. Um, and uh, one of the things that was most important to us, and frankly, I'm very respectful to all four of them, is we had hoped that they would be able to take responsibility for the choices they made. And in one moment for all four of them, um, uh, I realized that they were willing to be responsible for their actions. Um, and so, yeah, we did. Yeah. Uh, if they were going to fall, we let them. I, I have to tell you, that is one thing that um, I also agree with. Um, look, you if you pick, if you'd never let your kid fall, they're going to leave the house sometime and they're going to fall and you're not going to be there. And what are they going to do? What are they going to do? You haven't, you've, you've constantly been there to fix their problems. And here's the thing. When you're there to fix their problems at such a young age, you're, you're taking their problem solving skills away for things that aren't that big of a deal. But when you get older, problems are bigger, right? And now they don't have the skills to solve the big problems because you didn't let them talk it out on the playground with Timmy with why he pushed them. Do you know what I mean? Like for some reason you needed to get in on the playground, however much two five-year-olds are going to hurt each other or whatever the hell it is. You felt like you needed to solve it. You don't, you know what? If somebody steals your kid's truck on the playground, let them figure that shit out. It's just a fucking truck. But as they get older, if you never let them figure out how to get their truck back or whatever, you, when you're 20, you have real problems. When you're 30, you have real problems. It's not just somebody stole your truck. And not only that, when you take away their problem solving, for me, you take away independence and you take away confidence because you're not, you're not giving, they never think they can do anything without somebody else standing right here. And that is so untrue. And the reason your kid thinks that might be because of you. And the And here's the thing. I know you're solving problems because you love them so much. That's the thing. Like it, it's, it seems counterintuitive that you're going to let your kid, I'm going to say the word suffer, even though he's not, let your kid suffer when you can just solve it. But it's a band-aid. You know what I mean? That's my opinion. So who was that? Was that Jeremy? Who was that? that? Was Jeremy, yeah. Jeremy, here's, a, here's another story. I'm in the fourth grade, um, and I'm just perfecting my procrastination skills, which have lasted a lifetime. And there's some project that I wasn't interested in doing. And so it's due the next day, 
so I'm going to be sick. And so um, mom and dad are going out for a little bit. And I say to them, I, I don't think I can go to school. And my mother, who was very sharp, very strong will, took one look at the project and said, it's because it isn't done, is it? And, you know, I got caught and I had to say, yeah, well, but I, I do feel sick. And she said, you're going to school tomorrow and you're taking the consequences. Yeah. And that was, <laughs> that was it for me. That was the it for me. Yeah. Dad, do you, so one time, Jacob, um, so, so here's the thing. If you, if my kids ever said my teachers did this or my teacher said this, I was always like, cool, let's go in and see them. Because if they really did or said that, then I have something to say to them. And there was one time Jacob was like, I forget what he said about the teacher. I did my homework. You didn't count it. I'm like, cool. So you did it. I did whatever it was. This is why my grade's so bad. I did my, I'm like, okay. I go, well, listen, man, if you're saying this teacher is continuously not counting your homework, we got to go in and talk to him. He was like, great, let's go in. Beth and I drive. We get, we park the car. He's crying. I can't wait to talk to this guy. I can't wait to tell him. I'm like, cool. We get into the school. We're walking down the hallway. I'm like, you ready? He's like, I'm so ready for this. Let's go tell him, dad. We get to the door and he's like, don't knock. I never did the homework. I'm like, well, you held on for a long time. <laughs> he waited that until we got to the door. And he was like, I, can't, I, I, I didn't think you'd actually come all the way to the door. Yeah, like, We're here, man. You didn't think I was going to come to the door? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, I did what I said I was going to do. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. I, I, I will take one more question because these are great questions. Anybody else? One more. Okay. We got it right here. Hold on. You got it. Hi, Linda. Hi. How are you, Mr. Wolf? Hi, Linda. I have a question for you. You had four boys. Is there anyone in particular that's, that gave you a run for your money? Ooh, well, yeah. I know who my vote goes to. <laughs> I think it's going to be three. I think it's going to be three. Um, um, so Jonathan would be my vote. Um, yeah. Because he is the most like me of the four. <laughs> yeah. And mom remembers this. There's something that going on. And I turned around and, and mom was, Ellen was standing right there watching with a great deal of pleasure, I'm sure. And I said, what the hell is it with this kid? And, and mom said, just like you. Yeah. <laughs> you deserve everything you're getting. <laughs> that's not what she said, but that's what I thought and I said to myself. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Uh you, you know, I I I get a lot of me from Jacob. Like sometimes I'm like, where does he get that? And Beth's like, Are you serious right now? <laughs> What do you mean? Where does he get that? Um, we have one. We're going to ask one more because she's been super patient. Heaven, how are you? Good. How are you? Good. Did you want to ask a question? Um, yeah, I know that um, you guys have moved around a lot, um, different places. Is there like a specific place that you would 
think would be one of your favorite places to live? And do you guys like where you live now? Um, yeah, you can, you, I bet you can answer that. We spent yeah. um, 10 of the best years of our lives in Maine. And that's, um, you know, I keep telling mom, if I win the bet, we have a bet. Whoever dies first wins the bet. I hate this bet. Yeah. <laughs> and I would say to her, if you win the bet, you really should go back to Maine. No, Maine was for personal um, yeah. and reasons. You know, Dad, I, right. Maine was I, it. That backyard the, that mom basically created with her bare hands was so, uh, I think for all of us, for me and Jonathan and Dan and Adam, I mean, I can't imagine how heartbreaking it was for her, but we, we all ached for her because we knew exactly what went into that yard and how much of her went into that yard. And, you know, if you, you guys don't know my mom, but the care, the precision, the, and by the way, that might be the precision might be the one word that I might be able to do a Christopher Walken impersonation. I've never heard that come out of my mouth before, but the care and the precision and the love that went into that yard and the thought that went into it was guys, it was an, it was a living, breathing thing. The amount of vegetables and fruits and just plants and flowers, bees, chickens for a while. It was just an amazing, like that the backyard had so much life. Um, and uh, it's really amazing what she, what that yard started out as and over the years, what she did. And, and by the way, her commitment to that, much like your commitment to exercise and and all of that, I, I, I like you guys. When you are, you guys go one hundred percent. It's it's where I think I got whatever this is. That that chip, you know. I'll uh, send you the sonnet I wrote about the garden. Yeah. Okay. It really is astonishing what that yard ended up looking like. Mm -hmm. I wonder if the people who moved into it have kept it. Don't talk about that. Okay. <laughs> I won't. It's it's a gift that was given. Yeah. Um, and once you give it, uh, you you need to give it um, and and accept what happens to it after. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Anyway, um, I'll, I'll, I'll send you the sonnet. Send me the sonnet. I don't want to leave anyone out. So Ty has one question. Ty, hit me with that question. Hey, Josh, were you, uh, this is for your dad. Were you a rebel back in high school or middle school or anything? Oh, great question. Dad, was there any rebel part of you? Who, me? Yeah. Um, I'd have to, the answer is no and yes. Okay. Um, in in were my, you drinking in high school? Was anybody drinking in here high school? Oh, terrible things happened to me when I drank in high school. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we can forget about that. Okay. But, um, Ty in the early fifties, 
when I went to high school, you never defied a teacher. Um, and I defied them twice when I felt that they were being unfair or unjust to other kids. Uh, other than that, um, my high, you know, my high school years were very successful. I, you know, I just floated along. Um, I was a wise ass. I graduated uh, owing the school somewhere between fifty and hundred hours of detention. You did? Yeah. <laughs> but that wasn't because I wasn't a good student. Oh, I know that. But I, um, the, you know, there was, you know, high school and school, um, for some ungodly reason, people feel that they've got to set up a formal uh, set of power things that the kids, you know, need to obey. Yeah. Who knows what you learn from that? At any rate, no, um, I was somewhat of a wise ass. Um, I had two incidents that um, had me standing up and facing down a teacher. Um, yeah. And yet, you know, I was, <laughs> I was an excellent student, let's say. Well, you're the, you're, you are maybe the smartest person I know. So between you and mom, I know that you were both excellent students. I will say, and, and we're going to go on this. I, I, your, um, your commitment to being fair and balanced is something that I've always admired. That is very important to you that you, that things you wait your turn, you don't cut a line, you don't cut steps and your, your idea of what's fair and that things should be fair uh, and equal and even has always been something that I've uh, recognized in you. Yeah. And so that I, listen, you remember when I said, hey, if I can get you a vaccine, and it's not like, by the way, you're in the right group, so it wasn't like you were cutting lines, right? But I said, hey, if I can get you a vaccine in California instead of Nevada where it's a little faster, will you do it? And you're like, nope, I'm going to wait my turn. And I was like, what the? F and you were like, not, nah, but just got to be fair. I got to wait my turn here in Reno. And I was like, okay, but, but you did. And I, I, I mean, even with something like that, you just wanted, you were like, my turn is going to come. My name will come up and then it'll be my turn. Right. And just, just remember something yeah. I told you and I told teachers, but shut them up. Um, uh, fair doesn't always mean equal. Right. That's true. That's yeah. true. Um, but dad, we're going to have to do this again. We're going to have to hit a part two. Okay. Now, mom, are you, is, is it, is it still, I mean, maybe part two, you can make a cameo appearance. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. So she'll make a cameo appearance on part two. Don't move the camera. Don't you? Oh, Hey mom. Hi, sweetie. I love you. I love you too, honey. Um, okay. All right, dad. Well, this has been. Uh, beyond enjoyable. Me too. Me too. Um, and so we should definitely um, make another time to do this. We not only did we not get to me growing up, but we didn't even get past the sixties. 
<laughs> and we're an hour and 40 in. Yeah. Well, listen, Josh, a lot of us didn't think we were going to be past the 60s. <laughs> 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 well, here we are. Um, I love both of you so much. And um, thank you for always, you know, supporting me in this weird career that I chose and, and um, yeah, you guys have never not once been like, Hey, you know, may, now might be the time. Never, never, never. It's always just been, you know, we're, we're here. Yep. And well, love, love. Sorry. We didn't, couldn't get you together on your anniversary. Maybe we'll call when you get to Florida. Sounds good. And um, love you guys and uh, everybody who watched and listened. Um, if you just doing the audio on this, remember the um, Tell Me Something Good pod is uh, every Wednesday at 3 o'clock Central on my Facebook fan page. Um, and it'll live on there. Uh, if you want to watch the video, it lives on there or on my YouTube channel. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I, I got to, yeah, this has been really fantastic. It has been. Let's, we'll, we'll, I think my next open one is like three weeks and maybe we'll have you back on here. Okay. And mom is going to, maybe she'll sit here and I'll sit on the couch. No, I'll sit. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Love you, Josh. I love you. Love yep. you, Bye. Love you. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. That was absolutely wonderful. I could have actually talked to him for, I don't know, the rest of the day for sure. That was fantastic. Um, I don't know exactly how to quantify how amazing that was. Um, you know, also I haven't seen him in them in person in a year and, um, and so this was really a nice way to spend this afternoon. And so thank you all so much for being here and listening and, and, uh, Ray, Ray and Dave and Jay free and Shannon and Jeremy and Jen and Ty and heaven and, and Linda. Thank you guys also. Um, and I will, uh, yeah, I'm going to Florida this weekend. Um, Beth and I are celebrating our anniversary, and um, we'll do this again. Uh, love you guys. Um, that's funny. Somebody said the most I've seen your eyeballs in a while. Yeah, it's a different show. Uh, <laughs> all right, I got a jet. Love you. Thank you all so much for being here, and uh, we'll see you next time on Tell Me Something Good. All right, everybody.